0: Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed to Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America.
1: Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, all the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back, cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint cause a will put it back in your face. He's a cold-blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a What's going on, everybody?
0: This is the m Beat. It has been a while since our last episode. A lot has gone on since we last recorded. If you remember who we are, I am Austin, Austin Krell. This is uh, my, my my co-host, my good buddy Brock. Brock, how are you tonight, my, my, my good friend? How, how is life uh, in quarantine?
1: I'm doing just as good as you could possibly be doing in quarantine. <laughs> I've committed an unnecessary amount of hours to 2K, uh, 2K20, and... I am on the brink of spending real United States currency on virtual video game currency, VC, ah, they call it in the 2K community. I might have to drop 17.99 to get my my rep up. Uh but you know <laughs> this is the price you have to pay if you're going to be bunkered in your house for a couple of months. This is the price you have to pay. So Austin, I hope you and your family is is staying safe and doing as as good as you guys can as well.
0: You as you as well, Brock. Is uh what's 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 online classes like? What is Zoom like for classes?
1: Um well, it's, it's been a trial. It's been a trial, to say the mm-hmm. least. Now, Temple, they didn't extend our break because we went back to school. We had about a week or so of real in-person in, in, in person class, and then uh, they sent everybody on-campus home and moved to online, whereas other PA schools like Westchester, for example, they were on spring break when they were informed they weren't going back to class on campus, so they got another week or two to prepare their spring break was extended. The teachers had more time to prepare curriculum. Whereas with Temple, they didn't really do that. So teachers were really unprepared. And Zoom has been a completely brand new experience for both the teachers, the professors and the students as well. So it's big to just communicate, have an understanding for your students, uh, share emails, communicate discussion boards. But Having said all of that, it's been a trial, and it's been a pretty bad one so far. I've had a couple of professors cancel classes altogether. There's rumblings of going past fail. It's just really something nobody has seen before, and because of that, it's been really faulty. Uh, so what my friends and I call online classes is bootleg. It's 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 bootleg, it feels like. Because, I mean, you got, you got a class with 35 kids in it, and then you go on Zoom at 10 a.m. when your teacher's holding a meeting, and there's four kids in there. None of them have their mic or camera on. So it's like your professors talking to themselves. And, and and I think that's why a lot of the professors are struggling with Zoom, because you can't even get kids to come to class in person, let alone log on on their computer.
0: And so so how does how does test taking work then? Is it just like like basically it's like, like all this should be this we will go through the motions. But I know you're looking at your notes.
1: For me, that's how it's been. Our our quizzes are timed and we have a couple of attempts to take them. So it's been pretty frictionless with taking quizzes and tests online, for me at least. But I have a friend who his professor is issuing like a Word document. I think it's on Wednesday his exam is. He's issuing a Word document at like noon. And everybody in the class has to position the camera on their desk where he can see everything on your desk and he can see you working on your desk. So you can work on a loose sleeve sheet of paper. You fill everything in on the word document, and then you have it submitted back to him by a certain time. I guess one, two o'clock, whatever it may be. So I, I think professors are experimenting with different things. For me, though, it's been it's been pretty seamless because they've just issued exams and said, "We know you're looking at your notes. We know you're consulting Google. I don't really care. Just submit it, and we'll get we'll get through this together."
0: Because couldn't they like like if the camera is positioned? Oh, so they're probably they're probably went from behind, so the kid can't Google anything.
1: Yeah, well I have a funny story. I'm not I'm not gonna dime the name out of my friend that did this, <laughs> but I thought this was pretty funny. He's got a desk he works at in his room. And he's got a couple of younger brothers, he's close with his brothers, and he he grew up a little differently than us. He grew up in an Israeli household and, and their parenting is a little different. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he's 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 got a, a stronger relationship with his brothers and his siblings than, than most American people I know do. So he, he put his brothers up to this where he's taking the exam and you have to be in front of your camera. They have to see the work on your desk and everything of that sort. So what he was doing was he'd write his, his question for the exam out on a loose sleeve sheet of paper and he'd slide it off to the side. And his brother was sitting under the desk with a blanket over the desk under him And he'd slide him the little sheet of paper with the math equation on it, and then he'd figure it out under the desk or go on Mathway or Chegg, whatever the uh, calculation computer uh, websites are now. And he'd pass him back the sheet of paper with the (laughs) answer on the other side of it. So then he'd have the sheet of paper on top of his desk, and then there you go. There's the answer. So that's how he's been passing some of his math exams. I thought that was funny.
0: That's great. I like that a lot. That's a good one. That's yeah, a really it's good. One. It's
1: innovative, yeah. Um
0: and then you said some some people were just like canceling it all together with like they're just like fuck it, like the like like, like you done, all you done. Yeah, I
1: I had a professor that normally the way his his curriculum works is there's a quiz every week and a response paper every other week. So he's just giving us these assignments. He was initially doing Zoom classes and then he found out that there was only two or three coming to the two or three students coming into the Zoom class. So he was like, there's not really point in doing this. So he went to VoiceThread. So what the VoiceThread is, he can record his lecture over the PowerPoint and then upload it to the VoiceThread. And then if you watch the lecture, he can see who views it. And that's how you get your participation or attendance. And he sent us an email like a week after we went to VoiceThread. And he's like, you know what? The likelihood of you, a family member or a friend getting Corona is way higher than I anticipated And because of that, I'm not even going to mark you for participation. So try to stay engaged. Take the quizzes and and, and the response papers. Hand them in still. But if you're not going to be watching the voice threads or if you're not going to participate, it's not the end of the world. There's bigger problems. So he basically got rid of the entire class, and we just have to stay on top of the assignments for a couple of more weeks. My
0: man, Brock, is having a pretty good college experience, if you
1: ask. I I am. I mean, it's bad. It's definitely bad. This is not how I anticipated my sophomore year going. But listen – My GPA is not going to be negatively affected, and I've been spending all of these days playing 2K20. I I go on runs. I shoot outside. I have my own net, and I've been playing 2K20. So I I think ignorance is bliss in a situation like this. Not necessarily you want to stay on top of the news, but for me, I've been cocooned in my bedroom. I really don't consume news media. I don't go on Twitter as much anymore because my timeline is just flooded with the 24-hour news cycle of corona. So, I've just been cocooned in my room playing two k twenty like there's there's nothing going on in the world,
0: and now you basically have an extended summer too
1: yeah it's it's gonna be five months well <laughs> it, it it it'll be a five month break summer will only be about three, and if this corona extends into June, the quarantine, then I'll probably only get a month or two of summer, but nonetheless, I've got five months of of just literally hanging out and and chilling so your, your, like your, junior year,
0: your junior year is going to have to be a, a workhorse then.
1: It's going to be a wake-up call, definitely. My yeah. junior year is going to hit me hard.
0: No, nah, absolutely. Well, let's get down to – I wanted to, just, you know, to get get, get some, uh, some, some, you know, some, some information about how that's going. Um, let's get into the bracket. So here are the rules of the bracket. For those of you who don't know, Brock and I have been planning this for a little while now. Um, how it's going to go is we each selected – uh, 32 players. That makes 64. It's like a standard NCAA tournament bracket. And the reason we went NCAA tournament was because one of the most exciting uh, you know, two-week, three-week stretches of the year is March Madness. That was canceled in light of the virus. So we thought we'd make it that format. And we decided to go six years from 2000 to 2016. And I don't know how how, how Brock did it. My logic was I was literally just sitting on my couch and then boom, any sixer that came to mind, I would write write the name down and that would serve as my list. It wasn't going to be the most mainstream sixers. Although Brock went with Iverson and Thad Young and a couple of other guys, Lou Williams, other guys. I went with Iguodala, um, Corver, Evan Turner, and Andre Miller. You know, those are some of the main, uh, extreme guys, but I largely decided to, th- decided to think outside the box a little bit. Um, you know some some role players, but here's how we're going to do it. You have the ability to choose how you measure the matchup any way you want. It can be one memory you have of the player, one single performance the player had that was like a great performance that you know won the Sixers game or it was pretty cool, or it can be based on his stats as a Sixer. Any of those items you are free to choose from, and basically you're going to choose. Who wins the matchup against who and why. The first episode will only be the first round. So we're each going to give 16 matchups. And then the next episode will be 8. Then 4. Then 2. And then we're going to debate it out for 1. Now, here's where it gets funny. It's a little bit abnormal here. You can use... Two upsets where it doesn't have to make sense. it, 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 it can be it, it, it can be uh, Carl Landry over Allen Iverson if you so choose. You can use one upset or two upsets you know w- one for each region of your bracket and that will just bypass the player. it's an upset then the next guy moves on. It can be any reason you don't have to ha- you don't have to have a significant reason. It's just so that way you can make it a little bit more like an actual tournament bracket. So okay. Brock, I will let you go first. We'll go one through sixteen for for one half for you and then I'll go my half my my, my first set and you do your second set. I'll do my last set. Sounds good. Yes sir. All right Brock, you're one through your 116 matchup my friend.
1: So I have got Alan Iverson. Against Jakar Sampson.
0: <laughs> and?
1: And I think we both know the winner here. That's definitely <laughs> going to be Allen Iverson, a guy who I think if he played in today's NBA would be the best point guard in the NBA. His shooting would translate his athleticism as well. He went to the line more than anybody in the NBA during his tenure playing, finished top 50 in three-point shooting in seven straight seasons, a phenomenal basketball player, so many accolades, and there's, there's – a limitless amount of things you could talk about with Iverson whereas Jakar Sampson, not so much. He was a process era sixer, although he had bounced. There was nothing really more than that. He's still, he's still making his way in the NBA. He, he's still packing his bags from team to team, but employed by the NBA nonetheless. Uh, but that one's going to go to Allen Iverson for me. There you go, now my Jack. next, my, my next one, this was a little tougher for me. I had Chris Weber and Aaron McKee. And I think for me, I wanted to pick Chris Weber just because of his merit. But his tenure in Philadelphia was short. Aaron McKee is a Temple-made player. He played with Allen Iverson. He played on a potential championship-winning 76ers team. And he's now the Temple basketball head coach. I go to Temple. The Owls tie has Aaron McKee winning there. I'm taking Aaron McKee over Chris Weber. Very good. Now, next one, Lou Williams and Christian Wood. Lou Williams is the pretty pick here. Lou Williams, one of my favorite players of all time, the proclaimed underground goat, one of the more consistent scorers off the bench. He's fluctuated throughout his career, but really coming to his own in the past couple of seasons, finding a home and a good system in Los Angeles. But Austin, I think I'm going to use my upset here. And I say that because I like Christian Wood. I think Christian Wood has potential. Do I see him as a perennial all-star? Of course not, but he floated from team to team. And with an opportunity in Detroit, he was scoring the ball well. Almost at all three levels, he was playing hard. He was playing physical basketball. And unfortunately, he did test positive for the coronavirus. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and give him the upset here. We'll bring Christian Wood's spirits up, and I'm going to bring him past Lou Williams here on the bracket.
0: Do you remember when... When it was like um, I forget who who else it was, but it was Doug Collins' uh, night crew. You call it where it would be Lou and someone else off the bench, and they would just get like sixteen points, fifteen points a game, and that would be like the entire offense. I uh, my, who
1: who who would that be?
0: I think it. Uh, I it definitely say, it, it
1: wasn't Turner. It wasn't
0: Drew. Uh, it it, 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 it might have been Ad Young. Uh,
1: I think Thad started. It it it, it might have been though.
0: Well, it was Drew. Well, no, because Igadala
1: Igadala played. Igadala played for a little bit with Lou. So it, uh, maybe it it wasn't Jody. It, no, it could have been started.
0: Thad. I think it was Thad because I think there were times when Thad was in the Doug Collins doghouse.
1: Right, and and that team did have Corver. That team had Igadala, Drew. Uh, no, 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 they didn't. E- have, they, they didn't
0: have. They didn't have Corver. Corver was gone before then. Before. Was he?
1: I thought I thought Corver was there no, around was six, or, like or, 06. six or oh six or oh seven, yeah. That's well. That's what I was thinking. So I'm thinking yeah. more of more, more of or more of Lou Williams' earlier stint with Philadelphia. Ah. but we'll, we'll we'll assume it's we'll assume it's Thad Young just for the sake of the conversation. Okay. And speaking of the devil, I have Thad Young versus Drew Holiday. I'm Ooh. taking Drew Holiday here. I, ah. I I personally think Drew Holiday is the most underrated player in basketball. Lou Williams alike said that Jarrell Holiday was the most underrated player in basketball. Defensively, he is, if not the best, one of the best guards in the NBA. He's held Luka Doncic, uh, Damian Lillard, countless players in the Western Conference to poor performances. And offensively, he just has a very calming presence on the floor. He plays at one pace, and it's a pace that he controls. He's never playing too jittery. He's never spastic on the floor. He just plays very calm and very easy basketball. Drew Holiday has always been one of my favorite players to watch. So Holiday gets the notch over Thad Young there. And it's all it's
0: also a testament to like early on in his career, he couldn't defend anything. Like it was every night that an opposing point guard would just target him and he'd get crushed and they'd get like thirty five points. Tony Parker, Chris Paul, uh Derek Rose. Derek Rose killing everybody there at that time. Um but it's really a testament to how he's developed as a defensive point guard. I mean, He's now one of the best, as you said, one of the best defensive combo guards in the NBA. Definitely amongst the most underrated players.
1: Absolutely. And I'm going to pull up some of Drew's statistics this season defensively. Damian Lillard versus Holiday this year, 3 of 14 from the field, 21%, with 4 turnovers. Paul George, 1 of 11 from the field versus Holiday, 9.1%, with 3 turnovers. Anthony Davis first Drew Holiday this season, 3 of 10 from the field with 3 turnovers. Jamal Murray, 1 of 7 versus Holiday with 3 turnovers. And James Harden, 2 of 6, 33% from the field with 7 turnovers versus Drew Holiday. So offensively, like I said, very calming presence. He always hits his spots on the floor. He moves at a very good pace. And he could shoot. He's got the clip. He's he's developed an offensive game throughout the duration of his tenure in the NBA. And like you said, defensively blossomed into a very good guard. So holiday a kid who i'm glad i had an experience to watch in philadelphia and i saw him in person a few times so uh pretty sentimental about number 11 out there in new orleans absolutely so next up this one is this one's a little goofy nikola vucevic and elton brand (laughs) and i wanted to go vucevic just because he's he's developed into a nice centerpiece in orlando and He's playing the typical center role. But I'm going to go with Elton Brand here. And I say this because I think Elton Brand was the last of a dying breed in the NBA. That was really a bulldozer. And in Philadelphia, some of his numbers are pretty impressive. 13, 13, 15, 11. This comes after one of a a pretty gruesome injury, which other big centers have fallen victim to. But he was a consistent producer in Philadelphia, around eight rebounds almost every season. From the field, he was pretty successful. A little uh, over forty-five percent in in all four of those five of those seasons. But Brand has has done a nice job as as GM. I'd argue, um, much to the to contrary to the popular opinion. But when I say he's the last of a dying breed, it's funny. And I heard this in two K earlier. They were talking about the arm size of basketball players present day, uh, being completely different from the arm size of players of yesteryear. You don't really have these brute big men anymore, the Carl the Malone's, the 24-inch bicep, the, the python bicep centers, the, the dominant forwards. And I think Elton Brand was really the last of a dying breed. That was a pure bulldozer. And unfortunately, a brutal injury kind of uh, tampered his career. But I'm going to go with Elton Brand here and also hope that if he can salvage the Sixers roster for next season, um, I think it'll be a pretty good pick. I think he, he'll pan out.
0: Great, I, I love he, that. He one. probably
1: won't make it past the next round, but um, he'll 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 definitely <laughs> beat uh, Vucevic there. So next we've got Reggie Evans and Matt Barnes. Ooh. And, and Reggie Evans. Reggie Evans is an NBA OG, uh, an NBA OG. But I'm going to pick Matt Barnes here, and it's definitely not for his play in Philadelphia. He did play alongside uh, C webb and, and a couple of other guys in Philadelphia, but I'm going Matt Barnes here for his work post NBA. All the Smoke podcast, that's my favorite podcast to listen to. It's brilliant insight. They have a ton of NBA players of yesteryear that come on and share their advice and information about basketball, playing the grind. They have players of today's NBA that come on the show and really open up. And I think they're doing their own thing and and they're running with it. It's, it's different than what ESPN is doing or NBA or, or, or TNT. They, they get players to come on and really open up and although they talk a lot about their drug use and uh, their, their clubbing and things of that sort, I think the podcast is really entertaining, and it's one of the few other than the Feed to Embiid where I can sit down and listen to other people mm-hmm. talk for 45 minutes to an hour. So Matt Barnes is going to take the cake there over Reggie Evans for his work post-MBA. Yeah. And the final matchup is Casper Ware <laughs> versus Pierre Jackson.
0: Love it. Oh, that's a great and- one.
1: This one, I I really wanted Casper Ware to pan out. I remember watching him in in, in summer and down in the G, and I don't know why I I thought Casper had a lot of potential, but Pierre Jackson at least had somewhat of a professional playing career with Philadelphia, and he was a guy, listen, I'm going to bring Tukey up a lot, but he was a guy who was always a free agent. He always took the the veteran minimum for, for his salary, but Pierre Jackson was sneaky. He was athletic. He had bounce, and he could shoot the ball. So, Pierre Jackson for his time in Philadelphia is going to take that one over Casper Ware, and that does it for my one through sixteen.
0: Didn't didn't he uh, didn't he like blow, out his, blow out his Achilles or was it an ACL?
1: I think it was an, Ach- an Achilles injury, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, didn't he do it in like a in like a summer league game? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Damn, that's that, that right there is like your career. That's a shot right there. Um, all right, so. Allow me to start with my one through 16. My – one of my three or four all-time favorite players versus a guy who spent more games on the DNP coaches' decision than actually playing for the Sixers. Um, That would be Andre Iguodala versus Primo's Brzezix. That was back in uh, 2010-11 was Brejek's, um reign in Philadelphia. His Hall of Fame case was made in Philadelphia. Obviously not a very good one. He did not play, I don't think, more than 10, 12 games. Um, Andre Godala holds a special place in my heart because he was the best player on the team back when I first got into basketball. And he was the star. He was, um, you know, the it, it, this, was, this, was, this was before he kind of, Got reduced to that, uh, to that like should be a role player, but is the best player on a bad team or on a mediocre team. Um, he was a young and upcoming star, just signed like a four-year, eighty-something million dollar deal, averaging nineteen point nine points per game for the Sixers. Um, and he was, and he hit a couple game winners in that o eight o nine season that really like got me excited, and that like it was really like where my, my love for basketball began. Um, then he he hit he hit one against the Magic in the first round of the playoffs um, to give the Sixers a 1-0 lead in the series. They eventually losing six, um, and then he would have an All Star appearance in I think twenty twelve in But he was a big part of, of 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 you know any playoff success that they had back in those days, and he was like the the star before they really ever had a star in Embiid or Simmons. Uh, He advances without question. My number two, Evan Turner versus Darius Sungaila. Another (laughs) all-time great Sixer, Darius Sungaila. Um, Evan Turner, I remember I was doing math homework in my kitchen um, back when the Sixers went 27-55. and It was the draft lottery night. Um, And my God, it just occurred to me that, like, I'm so used to having draft lottery come in the summer for me because it's like I'm, um, it's like you know, high school. It's uh, you get a little earlier, and right. then in college you get out at like May,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but and I was in middle school, it was you're there into like June, um, and so it's crazy because I'm sitting doing math homework and I look at my phone. It's like, I'm like, oh shit, the Sixers just got the second overall pick in the draft. They're gonna get their next star. Um, but lo and behold, when they could have had Paul George, they could have had DeMarcus Cousins. Huggie. Um, they could have, yeah, they, they could have had a lot of different guys. Um, they who was the picking,
1: first pick that year?
0: That was John Wall. And John Wall, right? Really? Okay. Boy, was there a disparity between John Wall and, and Evan Turner? My goodness, right? Evan Turner, if you remember, was a reigning National Player of the Year
1: at Ohio State, Ohio State. Where was Ohio State? Yeah,
0: yeah um and evan turner i believe it was that year that he came back he came down hard on a dunk and broke his back Mm -hmm. um not saying that ever affected his play but that that, i think that was the year um comes into philly his first game against the heat in his career this was this was only the second game of the heats uh you know big three era they had just lost to the celtics on opening night and uh Evan Turner gave him 16 big ones off the bench, and I think he crossed over D Wade. Um, he had he had a you know a lackluster first year. Um, I believe he hit the game uh, the game tying bucket in game four of the playoffs against the Heat or something like that. It was either the game tying. It was like the end the second end of the game on like an 11-0 run to save off going down uh, in, in a sweep. And Evan Turner started that like last minute and a half with like a floater to put to bring to, to start it off. But uh, Evan Turner's career in Philadelphia, obviously, not what we had hoped it would have been. He was still a very um, a, a, a very underappreciated player, if you ask me. Uh, knew his spots. He 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 could play. He could handle the ball. He could play two. He could play three. Um, you know he 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 could he could he was a good finisher around the rim. The outside shot never really came to fruition, but. He was a, a, a very, um, a, a very fine, uh, shooting guard. Me for the Sixers, um, he gets the, he gets a, the pass and a landslide over Darius, hoomst Segila, um, man man is that? No one knows, but he was a Sixer. Believe it. He, I think he came from Timberwolves as well. I forget. Anyway, um, Kyle Korver versus Lorenzo Brown, the three versus the fourteen. Lorenzo Brown's name is a very popular process name. Um, a lot of people were like, well, oh, they could bring this guy back. And they kept bringing him back over and over and over again, only to cut him after the 10-day contract was up. At one point, you're the, and some, and eventually your thoughts are, why do they keep bringing him back if they keep cutting him? There's no point. He isn't that good. Try somebody else who also won't be that good, but it's worth a try. Um, Kyle Corver. Obviously, one of the great shooters would have been. He would be, he'd be great for this Sixers team right now. Um, he he had, he had he had some unbelievable memory moments um, with, uh, with with on the Iverson squads. He hit a couple of shots at the buzzer to, to, to tie games up with the Sixers, um, and also just you know like a sniper. He was also a model that no one really knew was a model back then. I mean, let's be honest, who could rock the knee high socks? like him in the black jerseys with the Troy Bolton hair. He was the Troy Bolton before Troy Bolton. That's cool. um, He gets the pass, obviously. that That's that's the first. That's the one, two, three advancing to the second round. Then we have a a, a dilemma for me. <clears throat> we have um, Dario Sharich versus Malik Waynes. That is the Villanova product Malik Waynes. Um, His brother did happen to beat my team In camp And that sent us all home very sad that day On, on championship Friday So I do hold that against the league a little bit That's going to factor into my decision Unfortunately for him um, He had a couple of big games when he was a sixer Back in I believe 2012-13 He then tore his ACL As a part of the Clippers And never kind of got back to the NBA He was a very good scorer for the Villanova Wildcats um, But Dario is a fan favorite as always. Um, my my most fond memory of Dario is him crossing up Jonas Arebko in Philadelphia in 2016, 17, and hitting a jumper in his mitt um, to beat the Celtics. It, that wasn't the game winning shot, but it was it was a game they won against the Celtics when the Celtics were the one seed in the East that year. Um, that was a very good Dario moment. And then he of course he hit a couple of big shots. He hit one against the Pistons in in uh, 17, 18 to put them away in, like, the 24th game of the year, something like that. I remember walking out, like, this is a new era of Sixers basketball. They can finally beat somebody. They're 13-9. and nine. Lo and behold, they beat the Pistons. So, like, that was, that was me having a realization of some sort. Again, I mean, it's the Pistons. Congratulations. Um, he moves on up for obvious reasons. Dario is the GOAT, as we all know. Then we have a fan favorite. We have Jay Rich. Versus the new R&B singer, Kareem Rush. That's right. He is indeed an R&B singer. Oh. I looked it up. Kareem Rush had a very promising career as an R&B artist following his not-so-promising NBA career. <laughs> Fun fact, his brother is Brandon Rush, who played for the Warriors. Um, Jason Richardson was what was, was, was another piece to the big deal that brought Andrew Bynum to Philadelphia. He torched the Sixers in his career. A bunch of four-point plays for the Magic. When the Sixers would lose to them in the most infuriating of fashions back in the day, um, he had a couple of big games in 2012-13. One against the Toronto Raptors, where he, in the Pacers, where he hit a couple of big corner threes to win those games. And I was like, "Oh, there's hope." There was no hope. I was bamboozled. Um, Kareem Rush played, I think, like two minutes in the playoffs When um, in 08-09. I remember thinking, "Oh, this guy's a good-looking dude. He could probably play basketball." Um, I have no idea why that was my rationale for him being a good enough player. I was 12. So my scouting back then was a little bit suspect. I will admit that. Um, Jason Richardson, for the dunks alone in his career, gets the pass. He will move on past the one and only Kareem Rush, or as his R&B name goes, K-Rush. Probably as bad as his game was, but that's another story. Um, Next we have the awesome... Awesome, iconic Andres Nocioni versus Tony Petit. If you remember, Nocioni came over in the deal that brought Spencer Hawes to Philly for Sam D'Alembert. Andres Nocioni. This was a tough one for me. I was always a big Tony Petit fan. He had the silky smooth jump shot in in an era where the big men didn't have the silky smooth jump shot. He once hit, hit a gorgeous three to put the Sixers up 16 over the Nets. Um, In 2010, 11, I believe. Yep. Um, And I was like, damn, that's a nice looking jump shot. Um, He had no knees. He got most of his work in before the game, never in the game. Um, But Nocioni gets the pass for his performance against the Chicago Bulls back in 2011-12, I believe. Or 2010-11. What was that?
1: He was, he was I, I believe he was number five on the Sixers. Noach? Probably yeah. Was. Probably now, was. I went to my first ever Sixers game with that roster, and we showed up a couple of hours early, my neighbor and I and his dad. So I got a basketball signed by that roster, and he gave me his finger pad. The, the the pad that would be on, I guess, either his index or his middle finger. I believe he had, we, I believe no, had
0: a, a dislocated finger or a broken finger for that game.
1: So so it it had the number five. If, if this is who I'm thinking of, it had the number five on it. And I remember I came home with that finger pad. I wore it in every single basketball game I participated in for the <laughs> next year. And I told everybody, because I'm pretty sure Philadelphia was playing Boston at the time, I told everybody it was Kevin Garnett's finger pad for a year. I was capping for for an entire year that Kevin Garnett gave me his finger pad, and I felt like the man because I had everybody fooled. But at the end of the day, when I went to sleep at night and I put that (laughs) finger pad on my dresser, I knew it wasn't Kevin Garnett's. It it belonged to Andre. So I I thought that was a little funny.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. I remember this game like it was yesterday. I was at a high. I was at a middle school dance. In a, in, in a lonely, in a, in a depressing uh, high school gymnasium. Um, I am sitting in the corner, of course, chowing down with the parents, as I usually did, because I was that kind of guy. Um, I'm looking at <laughs> my phone, the NBA app, in particular, the Sixers are playing in the Bulls. Bulls that time had, uh, that was when they had all star level D Rose. They had Tom Thibodeau as the new head coach, and they were very, very good. Um, Sixers were without Iguodala that night. Um, They were playing the likes of Darius Sangaila, uh, former Sixer great Craig Brackens, um, and they ended up beating the Bulls by six thanks to the heroics of Andres Nocioni. He had a couple of big-time jumpers, a couple of big-time blocks and rebounds in that game, big defensive plays. He finished with 11 points in 24 minutes. That night, and the Sixers, what do you know, they beat the Bulls by six. Fun fact, the Sixers almost never beat the Bulls, or any team for that matter, in games in which I was watching from my iPhone app at school dances. They were never winning those games. They won that (laughs) one. And for that reason alone, Noach is moving on. Then we have a great matchup, a matchup of Titans, if you ask me. The one and only T. Roten Lowe versus Willie Green. who who is more player than player. And I'll get into that more later. Tony Roten, um, (laughs) my my, my seven seed, could not shoot for shit. Um, You were hoping it would hit the backboard of anything. And maybe if it's lucky, he gets it into the basket. Most likely it's going to be off the backboard, off the rim, and then a long rebound to the opponent, followed by a transition dunk. Um, But T. Roten had the moves. He could pass a little bit, although he was mostly tunnel vision. Couldn't really defend too much. He was athletic as hell. Could finish at the basket. He'd probably be one of the Sixers' best shot creators over the last three years, if we're being quite honest. Um, He was never very great or very good, for that matter. They cut him uh, in a a very shocking display of of, of decision-making in the year that he tore his ACL. But Tony Roten... Whose time on Memphis was sat was spent on the bench. He was by far one of the best players on the team when the Sixers were in the process era. Uh, he gets a seven seed. I don't care what anybody says he was the man. Tony Roten was um, Willie Green was a shooting guard who could not shoot. Um, very very frustrating player. I believe he spent most of his off days chowing down at the local uh, Dave and Buster's shooting pool with whoever was there, namely Lou Williams. The Troy Mercy product, he um, shot for his career 42.5% from the field as a 6'3 shooting guard. So shooting guard that is that small should probably be a better shooter. He was not a very good shooter, nor was he a very good player for that matter. Willie Green will not move on it will be Tony Roden who um, wins that one pretty pretty easily. And then we have two of my favorite process Sixers. Um, we have Hollis Thompson who, despite all odds, made, made it in the NBA for a little while. Could not shoot coming out of college. Ended up being the Sixers' best three-point shooter. It made no sense. Um, versus Henry Sims my JV coach claimed to have played against and said he was the worst player he ever saw. And then this guy made the NBA and was a pretty decent center in the NBA until the Sixers said no more. Henry Sims hit a big three to tie a game for the Sixers with like two seconds left against the Nets once Um, he had a very nice jump shot. Very smart guy from Georgetown. Uh, Hollis Thompson had a couple of big shots in his career. The Sixers was always known for an odd fadeaway corner three that you're like, how the fuck is that going in the basket? And it goes right in. Um, As the team got better, he was one of the ones that was staying around until they cut him in the 16-17 season. He then went to New Orleans uh, where he ratted on the bench some more. And now we pour one out for Hollis. Hollis, though, will advance. It will be all of the higher seeds advancing in the first round for my bracket.
1: Very nice. I I, I can't really dispute anything you went with there. So are we going to go with uh, 16 through 32 now?
0: Yeah. After a quick word from our sponsors, do you like the shotgun beer? You want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, Ven Puncher, and all fits on the keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K. For ten percent discount on all products. Enter the code, trust Cobra ten, all caps all one word. Pick up yours today.
1: Alright, so let's get it started. The 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 first duel is gonna be between Rashawn Holmes and Maurice Spates. Ooh. And Maurice Spates was Part of a couple of good Philadelphia 76ers teams, but this one goes to the kid out of Bowling Green, Rashawn Holmes. He was an energizer off the bench, and at the time a lot of people were questioning who Philadelphia's center was going to be, and enter Rashawn Holmes, he did a really nice job as a spark plug off the bench for Philadelphia. He had a couple of really nice games, and I was always rooting for Rashawn Holmes to get a contract extension for Philadelphia. Luckily he did, and you know, this is a guy who – Scored 5.6, then 9.8, decreased a little due to playing time. But he was always good in limited spurts with Philadelphia. And and he was a a people's player, I'd like to call Rashawn Holmes. I'm happy for him in Sacramento. He was doing his thing for a little bit, 12.8 points this season, over eight rebounds. And he was shooting 65% from the field prior to getting hurt. So Rashawn Holmes is a guy who was birthed in Philadelphia. And now you hope for the best from him outside of Philadelphia. He's going to take the cake there of a Maurice Spates next. This is a tough one. This was honestly one of the toughest decisions I had to make in this entire bracket. This was between the great Spencer Hawes and Luke Umbaamute. Amute. Ooh. And the reason tough is because Luke Umbaamute he, he was essentially worthless on Philadelphia. He was brought into Philadelphia to be a veteran presence, kind of mentor Joel Embiid, which we'll get back to. But Joel Embiid ended up missing that entire season. And Luke Umbaamute wasn't necessarily needed. He was bouncing from team to team. He was on Houston. And like I said, he offers a veteran presence, but he wasn't needed in Philadelphia for more than just mentoring Joel Embiid, and Bede didn't end up playing. But Luke Umbaamute discovered Joel Embiid in Cameroon. That's a big, That's at big. A football camp. And that is huge because That's of course is Joel good. Embiid is is our crown jewel here. So I think I'm going to go with Lukuma Mute. I, I, I think that alone and discovering Joel Embiid and, and convincing him to pursue basketball outweighs the finger wagging that Spencer Hawes had when, when they played Milwaukee and Spencer Hawes was a stretch five. Uh, maybe you could argue he was ahead of his time because he could offer shooting defense, but he was nothing more than a role player. He was never going to be an all-star and Another journeyman player. He was he was good in his role, but I can't go with Spencer Hawes when Luka Mamute was the one that convinced Joel Embiid to ultimately pursue basketball. Hawes was fun to watch. I had a fan page dedicated to Spencer Hawes in the seventh or eighth grade, I believe, and he had a couple <laughs> of knockdown shots. The game winner, I remember, Spencer Hawes put the team on his back. And remember, this guy had to play alongside Kawame Brown with Doug Collins. So uh, kudos to him, but this goes to Lukumbamute. Next up, pretty easy decision here for me: Jeremy Grant or Furkan Aldemir? Furkan Aldemir, averaging less than two points per game, he averaged less than a field goal a game. Jeremy Grant, that was like the, the guy one, who was
0: that was like the one decision by Sam Hinkie where I was like, "Does this guy know what he's doing?" Because like he gave him a three-year deal and he was horrible.
1: He, he was he terrible, but not he not play was, basketball. He was the Turkish shooter before the Turkish shooter. He was. He was. He, he was, was our Furkan Korkmaz. He is what we hoped Furkan could could pan into, but um, that's not what happened. Like you said, Furkan Aldemir couldn't play basketball. He was just. He was. He was ugly to see on a basketball court. He was. He was out of shape. He was slow. His conditioning wasn't great. He had long hair and a patchy beard. He just looked out of place on the basketball court. Uh, so Jeremy Grant is an easy decision there grant has really come into his own and he was playing well for denver okc jeremy grant is the type of player who i think is going to blossom into a nice sixth or seventh man and, and stay there for a little while i think he's going to have I, a job in the NBA for the foreseeable future
0: i i, I still maintain this day that jeremy grant was was the think he's best pick. i
1: i think i think jeremy grant would have been fantastic on this sixers club and of course philadelphia dealt him away for virtually nothing i think it was a couple of second round picks that Philadelphia dealt him away for. Now obviously, it was hindsight first, is 2020, but time on Yeah. And, and that was a rental yep. because they, Philadelphia did maintain him after that season.
0: They, no, they, tra- they they traded him to uh they they traded him to Atlanta for their playoff run and then uh Atlanta cut him next year because they were they were they were trash.
1: Oh, that's right, yeah.
0: And the Sixers got it off the buyout market. Um, but yeah, they trade. It was Oklahoma City. They traded him after like two games. They traded him to, to Oklahoma City for for the shooter. Then Elias Silva got 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 traded to Atlanta. But I was always a big Elias Silva fan, so I-, I I don't hold any 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 grudges there.
1: I mean, he had a good little stint in Philadelphia. He was he was good for a couple of plays, taking charges and a timely three point bucket. But even he too was uh fill- filling the the narrative that when people come to Philadelphia, they forget how to shoot. And it felt like for a lot of these guys when they departed from their teams and were brought on board in Philadelphia, they forgot how to shoot the basketball. And Ursan Eliasovia is a guy that comes to mind uh, when you when you think about that narrative. Mm. Next, I'm probably going to use my upset here, my second upset. Okay. Uh, this is between KJ McDaniels and Michael Carter Williams. Ooh. Uh Michael Carter Williams was was successful in Philadelphia. And I I, I think that when Philadelphia traded and, and got rid of Michael Carter Williams, that essentially kickstarted the the real rebuild because Philadelphia experimented with Carter Williams, but there was better options. Uh so trading Carter Williams definitely helped kickstart the full-on rebuild for Philadelphia. And I enjoyed watching Carter Williams when he dominated in Philadelphia. He was on a team where he was able to possess all of the touches. He could shoot every shot. He could do whatever he wanted. But Michael Carter-Williams was was not a typical point guard. He was bigger than most point guards, and he couldn't shoot unlike a lot of point guards. Uh, so it was, it was sometimes frustrating watching Michael Carter-Williams. Now, you'd almost take him over K.J. McDaniels every day that ends in a Y. But for me, I enjoyed watching K.J. McDaniels in college oh, no. when Philadelphia had no K.J. McDaniels when, when, when Philadelphia had KJ McDaniels, it was exciting when he touched the basketball because he was one of those freak athletes that when they ascend in the air, you don't know what they're going to do with the basketball. I mean, he could put, he could pull off any dunk there was, and and he was doing this in game. He was doing it pregame. He was doing it anytime you watched him. So because of that, I think I just had a little more joy and, and I missed the days of, of conversing with my dad and my friends saying oh I think Tony Roten is the next I think KJ McDaniels is the next big and you did this with a lot of players on the process air sixers and KJ McDaniels is atop that list so I'm going to use my upset uh, KJ McDaniels is going to overtake Michael Carter Williams here I love it next we've got Nerlens Noel and Mark Jackson Mark Jackson uh, Philly made he played in Philadelphia on some good ball clubs as well and Mark Jackson is a fantastic basketball player and even better broadcaster. I love his work. But Nerlens Noel is a top 10 favorite basketball for me, favorite basketball player for me of all time. I love Nerlens Noel in Philadelphia. I hope he panned out so badly, him and Sean Holmes. I really hope Nerlens Noel could have been part of all of the Philadelphia 76ers team, namely even these teams, when you look at trade deadline options or when he's available as a free agent. I've always hoped Philadelphia brought back Nerlens Noel, well, unfortunately, never were able to. And I remember when I got the notification, he was traded to Dallas in high school. I remember exactly where I was. It was six period study hall. I got the notification on my phone and my stomach dropped. I love Nerlens Noel. I don't know what it was, but it was just something about him defensively that I was attracted to. And he's really starting to develop into a good basketball player. Oklahoma is a good environment for him. As a pick-and-roll man, 2016, 112 points, 2018, 90 points, and 2019, 164 points. Shot around 59% from the field as a pick-and-roll man in 16, 53% 2018. This year, almost 80% from the field in 55 games as a pick-and-roll man. Most alley field goal attempts he's had since 2015. He set career highs in offensive rating and true shooting percentage this season, and he's a guy that's a point guard's best friend. He'll set a hard screen, he'll roll to the basket, low maintenance offensively, low usage, but what he does on the basketball court is invaluable. So I'm going to take Nerlens Noel there, uh, the poster child, in my opinion, for the process. He was my favorite player uh, during the process era. Next, this is, you said there was a Clash of Titans earlier. Well, I think this is the perfect embodiment of Clash of Titans. It's Andrew Bynum and Kwame Brown, uh-huh. and it's only fitting that these two go against each other. Uh, really, this decision was also pretty difficult because both of them were atrocious in Philadelphia, and you know, Andrew Bynum ran his course, and he gave Philadelphia an abundance of memes, but Kwame Brown as well gave Philadelphia a lot of great laughs. For some reason, Doug Collins loved Kwame Brown, and Kwame Brown, after being drafted so highly and having all of this notoriety associate with him when he was drafted turned out to be one of the biggest busts in nba history and he played on almost every single nba basketball team there was and his journey came to one of his last stops in philadelphia teams ran the hack of Kiwame against kuwame brown and he was really just a pitiful player in philadelphia um this decision is going to be given to andrew bynum and that's just because of of his tenure in Philadelphia. I mean, it was really laughable. The hair he came out with—I don't know what it was. It was like a straightened blowout that he sat on the bench with in Philadelphia. Uh, that that was a laughing stock, and to this day, it still is. And his injury, which was absurd—I'm pretty sure he got it bowling, if I'm if I'm not mistaken—in Philadelphia was was a, a complete joke. And like I said, to this day, people are still laughing in Philadelphia. About Andrew Bynum, whereas Kawame Brown is just kind of sad. What happened to him? Just a, a pitiful basketball player uh, in his tenure with Philadelphia.
0: I don't. I, I don't think Bynum ever even wanted to play basketball.
1: I, he he uh, today. I watched the 2011 NBA Finals uh, with, with the Lakers and the Celtics, and Bynum. I don't know. He, I, I don't really know what stood out about Bynum. I think other than his height and his capability to put his body on somebody and box out and grab contested rebounds. He didn't really do much on the basketball floor.
0: No, he didn't. He was, he was like, I, I think, I think back then the idea of him was, was, was a really good idea. And now he would be like a sixth man. But um I mean, I, I think he was like the Roy Hibbert after Roy Hibbert.
1: Yeah. What a compliment that is. <laughs> uh, so, so next, um, I'm gonna go Lavoy Allen and Darrell Wright. Ooh. And this is gonna to go to gosh, I'm, I'm giving love, it to Lavoy
0: I love Darrell Wright. I loved him.
1: I'm giving it to Lavoy Allen. Now, Darrell Wright was was pretty efficient in Philadelphia. Uh surprisingly, he was one of the most efficient players on the team when he was rostered here, uh, which analytically I would love. I'm gonna give this to Lavoy Allen. I met Lavoy Allen. Um so a little bit of sentiment there. And I, I forget what his nickname was exactly, but it stood out to me. I really liked it. I think it was Chef Lavoy RD, something of that sort. And when you got a nickname <laughs> like that, you you just, you you just win my respect. I interviewed him uh, at a play-by-play sports broadcasting camp in Villanova I used to go to. I got to interview him when I was a young kid. And and I'm I don't know what I asked him. And I probably looked like a scared little white suburban idiot. But uh, nonetheless, I met Lavoy. And at, at a time, people thought Lavoy was, was going to be an answer for Philadelphia. It's just funny now to look back and see all of these players that you kind of justified why they were drafted or why you wanted their contracts extended or why they deserve more playing time. And now you can kind of sift through all that bowl. You, you you can see a player like Lavoie Allen wouldn't even make, crack the rotation uh, present day for the Philadelphia 76ers. But there was a time when people really thought Lavoie was – the second coming of of Jesus Christ as a center for Philadelphia, uh, which he obviously was the he
0: Hakim He was the Hakim, the the, 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 the the Hakim after Hakim, and before Hakim too.
1: Hmm. <laughs> now this one is, is Byron Mullins and and Thomas Robinson. Oh,
0: I love Byron Mullins and Thomas Rob. Oh, T. Rob, what a guy! I I think, T- I think I think both his grandmother and his mother died within a week of, of each other when he was in college.
1: Seriously, yeah. No, that oh, was, that's that's.
0: Yeah, that was that's
1: unfortunate.
0: Yeah, and I think his days are going to get worse. But go ahead.
1: Now, surprisingly, I'm going to take T Rob. Oh, I yeah. used to, I I used to love playing with T Rob and Quincy AC in 2K. There wasn't really much in the way of watching him on the basketball court. Um, he wasn't successful in any of his stints with the Rockets or Portland and, and Sacramento, and that was just a few seasons. He was he was really a a power forward center type that you you, you wanted to pan out, but his game didn't really translate at the next level. He was good in college, but uh, he he played alongside Nerlens Noel. He played alongside Henry Sims and. I don't know what it was about Thomas Robinson. I, I just liked his game, and, and Byron Mullins was a Seventy Sixers who I wish I never saw play. He was frankly terrible. His basketball IQ was horrendous. There wasn't really anything he did well on the court, in my opinion. Uh, on Philadelphia, he could shoot a little bit, and he, he had yeah he did have some range, but he, defensively, an absolute liability, and and. Similar to Furkan Aldemir, he he was just unattractive or, or unaesthetically pleasing, I should say, to watch on a basketball <laughs> court, um, and and that's that's what does it for me. If if I can't if I can't watch you play on the basketball court, then our relationship is forever impaired. Um, there, there's there's no going back. Uh, so finally, Lewis Amundsen and Jordan McRae, and Ooh, these are. These are are not the most polished of basketball players. Um, I'm going to go with Jordan McRae here, and and Jordan McRae is still surviving in the NBA a little bit. He had the clip this season with Washington. He was playing nicely with Detroit uh, on the Cavaliers. He played on, I think, a post-LeBron Cavaliers team, and if I'm not mistaken, he played overseas for Israel for a little bit. I believe he Um, actually
0: won a title with the Cavaliers.
1: Did he? Was he on one of the title teams? I, think I thought I think
0: he was the, I think he was on the I, own title team, yeah.
1: I knew he him and Joe Harris, too. Joe Harris was rostered on some of those Cavaliers teams with LeBron. I I remember. Um but Jordan <laughs> McCray, I'm Jewish. Jordan McCray played on Israel uh for a little bit their their basketball team. So I'm gonna go with the Jewish ties here and give it to Jordan McCrae uh for my final my final matchup on the bracket.
0: I love that. Oh, I love that. Jordan McCray, the only process sixer to have a ring. That's sad. Um, all right. For the last bracket, for, for, for the first episode of the Bracket Challenge, um, we have a, a, a very odd matchup. We have the return in the Iverson deal on Ray Miller for one seed versus a fan favorite from the Utah Jazz Francisco Elson. Francisco Elson oh, had a very uh, interesting career in Philadelphia. He was known more for his um, uh, Pedro Serrano-esque pregame uh, rituals with just talking to himself and jogging from sideline to sideline during warm-ups while everyone else actually played basketball. Um, he was he was not not used often, but he was certainly an interesting man. I sat courtside for a game and was very intrigued by whatever he was talking to himself about I don't remember don't want to remember um, I hope I never knew <laughs> um, but Andre Miller one of my favorite point one of my favorite players very underrated point guard uh, led the league in steals and assists I think multiple times um, and that uh, had a deadly mid-range game and he was certainly one of the best players on the team when I first fell in love with basketball Andre Miller by a landslide next is Jody Meeks. Versus Elliot Williams, another process sixer who everyone was, was adamant could play. Turns out he indeed could not play. And I think his stints with multiple teams in the NBA proved that, again, he could not play basketball. Um, Jody Meeks, most notably, most well noted for being a trade piece to come over from the Bucs. Uh, I believe it was either Rod Thorne or whoever else was there the Sixers wanted him badly in the draft. They did not draft him. They took somebody else who knows who. Um, but Meeks had a very up and down tenure at the Sixers. Uh, my dad said he was the worst defensive player he'd ever seen in his life. Turns out <laughs> he was the defensive stopper for the Sixers Many met for many seasons. Um, and that was what kept him on the court uh, when he was not making shots. Shows you how much my dad knows about basketball. Um Jody Meeks will get the pass here. Most notably for his seven three point first quarter against the Charlotte Bobcats back in the de- back in two thousand ten eleven I believe it was. Um, that was a game where I sat courtside for that. My first time ever sitting courtside. Um, Meeks hit seven threes in the first quarter. It was an absolutely insane display of basketball. You could see me in the lower right. corner. The lower left corner of the screen with my 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 buddy, and every time he shot a three, we put our hands up and go ballistic because well, the Sixers could not shoot threes, and here he is making seven of them in one quarter. Hallelujah! Um, so
1: you sat you sat through some real vintage Sixers basketball.
0: Oh, uh, it was tremendous! It was remarkable.
1: You're you're lucky, man. I,
0: I, because
1: I'm 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 twenty, so I. I really only started watching the Sixers in I'd say probably 2013 2014.
0: So uh, I I started watching in oh re- really watching in oh eight oh nine, um, and they okay. were like, like and I I could remember I used to have this thing where I could remember games by date. If you, if you gave me the date I would I, and the team I'd remember the score.
1: Like, like, <laughs> okay, calendar it really, man.
0: It was really weird. Like it was a really weird skill to have. But, like I, like I remember they went like 41 41 27 55 41 41 35 31 1963 1864 1072 20 uh, 54, 52 30 51 30, 31 here we are today um, so like I remember like everything it was weird it was so weird yeah I, that, I'm
1: not even gonna act like I knew what you just said
0: but um, it, it was no, continue that was like the record that they, that they had by year when I first started watching. So it was oh, like, okay, okay. Oh, like eight, oh nine, ten. Then you know, like, like, but that was just like a glimpse. I could remember like zigzag scores of games. It was so weird. Oh uh,
1: yeah, that that is that is strange. Yeah, like I remember they lost. Third... I remember they
0: lost to like the, the the Magic in the first game of the year, like one twenty to eighty six. Then they beat the they beat the Knicks on a Friday, or no, they beat the Bucks on on a Friday, ninety nine eighty six. They beat the Knicks one forty two one forty. 140. Um, Al Harrington had forty-two points in that game on Halloween. See think, well, that was it was super weird that I could remember all that shit, but it was it was something yeah I, I can't
1: even remember what I ate for breakfast. Yeah. You're out here remembering stuff from 08 That's crazy. It was nuts.
0: Um, anyway, next great another great great Sixer the shooter, the first white shooter that they they really had, who was a Obama. Um, it was Jason Capono versus Kendall Marshall. Marshall, who remember, was the <laughs> overall pick by the Suns. He was cut within a year of being drafted. <laughs> um, he ended up on the Sixers. He had a very nice pa- passing game and not too much else. He was slow as hell, um, too small, couldn't really shoot, chucked in the hip. Um, yet the Suns drafted him. Um, and the Capono was, uh, for whatever reason, the Sixers needed a shooter. They traded Revy, Reggie Evans to, to the Raptors for him. And I love Jason Capono I don't know why I loved him but I loved him um, he, he had like a horrible horrible stint with the sixers he could not shoot when he was with the sixers at all and his career just took like spiral downwards after being a sixer he was a he was a three-point champion with the Heat, I believe um of course at the heat because that's just the ban of my existence but um, <laughs> but lo and behold there you have it um, Jason Capono despite having a very eventless uh tenure at the sixer he gets the pass because he was a shooter and I like shooters. Um, Isaiah Cannon versus You got
1: the Parker. clip yourself, no? I, I gotta interrupt and ask. You've got the clip yourself, right? What? You're a shooter?
0: I, I, I was a shooter back when I could play. I was a shooter and
1: now Yeah I, tell me you played you, you played with Cam Reddish, right?
0: I was I played with Lamar Stevens. I played with Cam Reddish. I played with Shiz Austin. I played with all three of them. Um, wow! Yeah, and now, now, and then, another guy who's on our team is at, is is, is uh, at the NFL Combine. So we had we had some athletes on our team, but uh yeah, that, I, that, yeah. I, I was I was the bomber. I, I could shoot. I could shoot a little bit. Um, All right. Um. Anyway, back at, at, now that we're out of my post-playing days. Um, let's see here: Isaiah Cannon versus Royale Ivy. The only thing Royale Oof. about him was his name. Um, Royale had two separate stints at the Sixers and an Oklahoma City stint in between. He's now an assistant coach. He wears a bow tie all the time. For whatever reason, I think of him, I think of a literal goat. I don't know why. I just do. Um, (laughs) He was their best three-point shooter back in 2012-13, and um, that's about all that stands out about him. Isaiah Cannon, Cannon balls were awesome. I love Isaiah Cannon. He had the four-point play against the 73-9 and nine Warriors. To tie that game up, they would lose to the Warriors that that day. Of course, the one three that Harrison Barnes never hit in his career came against the Sixers. Um, it was the corner one, I think with like a second left on the clock, and the Sixers lost that game, unfortunately. But Cannonball with a big shot there. Um, he then had stints with the Suns, I believe, and a couple other teams. I believe the last time he was in the NBA, he had one of those horrible leg injuries where like the leg like snapped in half. Um, mm-hmm. But and since then, he's been out of the league. Cannonball though moves on. Some good fortune for him. I believe he had a thirty-something a, a point game with the Sixers against the Thunder. That was also a game where they were up by like twenty and then they lost because of Russell Westbrook. Um, and the, the one of those like iconic Westbrook dunks where he goes full court and then just slams it on the Sixers. Remember that dunk? Yep, it. Was, I, I don't know if you do or not, but it was unbelievable. Done. Like it was just. No, it, yeah. It, West, it Westbrook had some fun speed. against Philadelphia. Yep, yep. And they're they're up like 32-17 at the time. He just yep. yams it, and they and they ended that. That was like that was that sparked them, and they all they went Oklahoma City to win the game. <clears throat> um, then we have Ursan Ilyasova versus Jeremy Pargo. Um, Pargo, Pargo. Was signed, signed to a ten day deal. In the 2012-13 season, he had one very very memorable game where he literally led or led the Sixers to a, a victory. I forget against who. It was a game where you're like they shouldn't be having this problem with this team, but lo and behold, they were. Um, and um, it was it, it it was it was like a, the game that like Pargo was like, okay, this guy might stay here for a little while, and then nope, he was cut three days later. Um, <laughs> So that was that. That was that. Uh, that was that was the that was the entirety of the Jerry hardo run. Ursan Eliasova, another shooter. I love shooters. Also could take a charge. He was ugly as sin, and I mean, boy, was he ugly. Um, but he he <laughs> could he could fling that thing with the best of them. He had that high arcing release. It was like a Dirk-esque release, if you ask me. Um, he had a very, he had, he had a very nice polish. He, he has a very nice polished Euro game. He pass a little bit, shoot very well. Um, you know, he, he can throw the needle a little bit here and there. He had a uh, a couple of really good games for the Sixers back in 2016, 17, 17, 18. One game in particular, I remember, was against the the, the Hornets, um, and the Sixers were down by 14 the entire game, pretty much, and he like led them on the comeback. Um, to, to 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 win that game, um, and he had like a backdoor layup with, and one that like sealed it, and that was like a big moment. I remember like going like, sc- whenever I'm watching games, I always scream "bang" the top of my lungs. I don't know why, but I do. Um, I think I'm Mike Green, I guess, and like my my throat is sore the next day after they win games because I'm screaming "bang" so loud. Um, and that was one of the games where I was like screaming "bang." I probably have my shirt off because when I'm watching games, I get hot and it gets stressful. And then I take my shirt off and then here I am <laughs> walking around the house with the shirt on and, and sweaty and screaming, bang. And it's weird. Um, so I watch games alone. Um, but that was, my, that was like the beginning the, the that comes to mind for Urside for me. Then we have a, a, a battle of extreme Titans. We have, Sauce Castillo, Nick Stauskas versus JaVale McGee. That is the Shack and the Fool, JaVale McGee. Um, Stauskas, I, I doesn't have many memorable Sixers moments. I think the one was 2016-17 where he hit the game-tying three against Memphis from um, the corner. Uh, he could dribble a little bit. He could pass a little bit. He could move a little bit. He could shoot a little bit. was never very good at... anything other than like being okay at some things had no confidence really um never could make it the NBA but uh and then JaVale McGee also had like a two-game stint with the Sixers total like his entire Sixers career was two games they traded for him I think from the Nuggets I want to say um but um his one moment was when he got blocked I think by like the smallest guy on the court and the block was so emphatic I like hit him in the face and it was at the end of the quarter. I think I was like, "That was like this. This is what the process is." Javale gets blocked by a point guard who's six foot. Um, and it hits him in the face, and they're down twenty. end of the first quarter, and that's what it was. That, that's it. that's what we went through for years to have was that moment. Um, I who for a tough matchup? I don't know. They both suck.
1: Who <laughs> was is tough. it? I gotta
0: give it to Nick Stauskas because, wow, he, well, because he played more than two games for the Sixers.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, more more of a tenure in Philadelphia. I believe the one moment
0: that'll get him past was, I think he crossed over somebody and then made an unbelievable pass or a, a dunk. It was like a, an emphatic dunk, and they're like, everyone's like, "Holy shit!" It was like a Sauce Castillo moment. That was like the, that was the, um, the who's the PA guy, Maddie. Matty Cord, Matty Cord. You yeah, know, that, that was that was the Premier League sauce. Castillo. See, he's
1: one of those he's one of those uh unesthetically pleasing or, or uh, unesthetic guys in my opinion. Sauce Castillo that is. I, I don't know if I have a vendetta against white guys playing basketball. I don't think I do. Yeah, a little um, bit
0: of reverse racism here, I think.
1: Some some people that, that rock the the Supercuts haircut with no accessories and they're in like a white uniform just don't look right on the basketball court. Furkan Altomir, Arsan Ilyasova, Nick Stauskas. I mean, if you throw a, a leg sleeve on or an arm sleeve, maybe an Evo shield, it's it's a different story. But you got guys running around like they're playing at the Y in the NBA. I don't want to be watching that. And, and Nick Stauskas <laughs> is one of those guys for me.
0: That's, that's funny. I like that. That's a good one. Um,
1: my next up,
0: Jason Smith. Uh, he was drafted by the Siffers. I um, forget where he played college, but he was hurt for all of 08, 09. My dad was like, you're going to love this guy. He's the real deal. He was not the real deal. My dad continued to know nothing about basketball. Um, he was like a, a, a nice stretch four before the stretch four, could shoot a little bit. Um, he had a couple big games against the Pelicans, or no, it was against the Hornets at the time. Um, and it was like the only team he could play against was the Hornets and nobody else. Um, he had a couple big threes against them. This is when they had Chris Paul and David West and um, uh, the original Okafor. I forget who is. I forget what his name. Emeka was. Okafor. Uh, oh, what the hell is his name? Emeka. Emeka Okafor,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was on Philadelphia too, I think. Yeah, I, I think the, they.
0: He was on a G League deal back in like yeah. back in eight seventeen, eighteen, eighteen, nineteen, that like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, he would only have big games against them. I remember uh, there was a game where they were up by like fifteen, and they ended up winning. And Stoyakovich missed a big three for the Pelican, other for the for the Hornets. And I was like, yes, they won a game finally. It's been like two weeks. Um, and that was that was the big one. That was a Jason Smith game. versus Xavier Silas. He was he like signed this a deal right at the end of the season with the Sixers back when they when they got to the second round of the playoffs against Celtics. Um, cracked his head open. I think the next year's summer league hadn't seen him since. Uh we'll give it to Jason Smith here. Um don't know why. I <laughs> don't know why I thought of those two, but I did. <laughs> um, then we had the final matchup of the night. We have Danielle Marshall and Sam Dallenbear. Sam oh, Slam and Sammy D. Slam and Sammy D was never as bad as people wanted to say he was. Um, he was like a very foul prone big man, but he was a big man who could block shots, could get rebounds, was like very good in the dump off position for a big. Um, and we have Danielle Marshall. Danielle Marshall. I don't know if you remember. He was the OG ugly ass player. Like he was ugly. I mean, ugly, <laughs> ugly, ugly, ugly
1: guy. Let me take a look. Take a look. <laughs> what do you got? The you got the COVID? Is that what's going actually, on over my, there?
0: My my cousin got tested positive for it, and I uh, actually, yeah, and my my cousin's a doctor, and um, and uh, I was with him two weeks ago, so maybe who knows. Um, no. I, I feel fine for the most part. Doing sore throat, but other than that, I'm fine. Um, all right. Well, if, if if I die, TPL like, gets everything I have, um, and that's not much to begin with. So don't, don't flatter yourselves.
1: Um, yeah. Well, on a different I, note, Daniel Marshall is is pretty ugly of a, of a of a human being. What? I said on 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 an, on an on the other hand, Daniel Marshall is is pretty ugly. He's he's yeah, not the like,
0: all ugly team is like. Um, Sam Cassell, Zionell Marshall, and a couple other dudes. I forget who, but they, boy oh boy, I mean, Sam Cassell was like ET.
1: Like, yeah, he was pretty good though. It, I, he good if player. you look like that, if you look like that, and you're out there hooping, I can put it past. I, I can I can put the looks past that because he was Sam Cassell was hooping for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think he was on the team at the think he was on the Celtics team that won it in like 07. Mm-hmm. He's a good player.
1: He was in the league for a little while, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, Danielle Marshall, fan favorite of mine. He was a shooter. He was like a stretch four before the stretch four was a thing. He, I think he has one of the records for most three pointers in a game for the Cavaliers. Um, and um, I, he had a big game with the Sixers. Against the Magic in the O' Not O Eight O Nine playoffs, it was in the game one. They were down by like eighteen in the third quarter, and he hit like three big threes for the Sixers in that game. Um, obviously, they ended up losing the series, but he was like the stretch four, and he was the best shooter on the on their worst three point shooting team I think ever. I think they shot like twenty nine percent from three that season, which was like the worst by far, and he was at like thirty six so percent. They used he was the shooter, and that like today like. That would have been Mike Scott, which is terrifying. But um, Danielle gets the pass here. So for me, moving on is again the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then I have that in both brackets. Rock, you had two upsets tonight, correct?
1: That's right. I believe it was K- yeah, it was KJ over Michael Carter Williams, and I took Christian Wood over okay. Lou Will.
0: So next episode, the reset, the upsets will reset. You can still pick two upsets uh, next week as, or next episode as well. Um, before we go, I did put out a tweet from the Feed to Embiid account. If you have any mailbag questions, we did have one. It came from Brandon Apter. You may know him, um, he's very active on the Sixers Twitter community. Let me pull up his question. I believe it was about Brett Brown. Let me see here.
1: Yes. <clears throat> it's tough, man. This 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 quarantine. It's it's getting real old. But I gotta say, this two K has been keeping me Absolutely. occupied. I'm here's the question. I, I've just been waking up. And, go ahead. Go ahead. Because I'm just the after
0: twenty three here. After Brendan, After. If the NBA decides to cancel its season, does Brett Brown's leash get extended or do they part ways?
1: Uh, The simple answer for me would be no. And I think the NBA is most definitely going to cancel the season. I know uh, that the players association and the league is exploring all options right now, playing without fans, but I don't think players are going to want to travel state to state right now. Most to all of them are in their home cities Uh, I don't foresee a future where the NBA resumes and plays the uh, rest of this season. Maybe they could pick up in in a different format for the playoffs in a couple of months, but I don't foresee that happening. Uh, So in my opinion, I think the NBA season is done for 2019, 2020. And I don't think Brett Brown's shelf life will be affected positively by the season getting cut short. I think that in his body of work, Uh, near decade. He has given enough for Philadelphia to make the decision to part ways. And this season was probably the first in his near decade tenure where the media bled into the locker room and external internal problems were made public. And there was articles written about the flaws of the front office and the organization and their their mechanisms and and Brett Brown's environment as a, a friend rather than a boss and things of that sort. So having said all of that, I don't think his shelf life will be affected positively. I don't think he'll have a longer leash. I still think he gets fired or steps down from this position before he gets fired, um, ahead of the two thousand, two
0: thousand twenty, two thousand twenty one season. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> Is there's any chance that he like it stays in like a front office role or a different role?
1: I was thinking about that. Uh I I think right now it's it's too early in his career for him to be relegated to that role. I think he still wants to coach in the NBA. Uh maybe not as a head coach. If he can't find a job, definitely as an assistant or somebody with player development. Uh so I don't think that he would he would give up his coaching career and, and go right to the front office for Philadelphia. Uh but that's that's something that I think he will explore when his career as a coach is over.
0: Yeah, I I I think it's been decided for a while that Brett's done. Um, I think it's been a couple of years now that they that they've wanted him gone. I was shocked when they extended him after uh, 17, 18. and I you know, they were right there at the end at the end last year getting ready to do it. Took Elton Brandon Joel saving his job. Um, and I think that they were just looking and waiting for the moment where they could fire him. And I think it's they've reached that moment. Um, I, I think he's gone. It, I, again, it would not shock me if he stepped down, or they, or uh, you know, to, to beat them to it, or if it was a, a mutual parting of ways. And to answer my own question, I I think there's a lot of resentment there between him and the front office. I think that you know, they they never liked him, they respected him that much. I think he probably has resentment towards that. I don't think he would want to be in an organization where he was not thought very well of. I think he. Would like to pursue other opportunities, um, or maybe you know, it might be a, another opportunity to develop players or to be in a, a similar process like role because I think he likes that and likes teaching more than he likes to sort of like you know be like the, the spo or the, the pop or the or, you know, the Pat Riley type. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think there's there's no save in this job, I, I don't think. Um, I think. I'm resigned to it. I think everyone should really be resigned to it at this point. I, I I think you're right. I don't think he's done nearly enough to save his job. Um, and I've really been, over this quarantine and this break from basketball, I've gone back and watched a lot of their games. And I think I don't know whether it's just like I've been so we've been removed from it for, for so for such a long period of time now or what. But I'm I'm looking and I'm watching games and I'm thinking like, what the fuck am I watching? Like this isn't an offense. They don't have any kind of. They, they don't have any kind of idea. They, 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 what's the point of this possession? What are they trying to do here? I find myself asking more questions and more like, more like, 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 like. I'm left more, I guess, confounded after possessions. Just watching it now, as it now as it's been a little while, and I'm like, there's no question. This guy should not be the coach of this team anymore. Um,
1: and I, mean, I love Brett
0: Brown, I love him as a guy. Um, you know, he, he, when I met him, he treated me very well, um, and I I, 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 hope, I wish him the best, and yada, yada, yada. I'm just so tired of of, of being frustrated with this team, and um, you know, um, having to explain why there's an underperformance, or why they lose with this team, or why it's a struggle with this team. It, it, it's it's time for a new voice, and it's um it's time for a new system. And, um, yeah, I I think it's over. And about the season being canceled, I don't know. I think they want to get their money. Um, I I, I think they will explore every other option that they can that would allow them to resume the season. But I also think that after a certain point, people are just going to be out of the basketball swing of things, and they're going to want to watch baseball and focus on the the, the football offseason. I think that there that there is gonna be a point where there where the the risk will be we'll owe these players money and there's gonna be no viewership and nothing to pay nothing really to pay them with. And um it might just be a point where it's like, okay, we well, we'll just cut our losses and you know, hit the reset button. But um it, right.
1: I think that's so unfortunate. Yeah, to. and
0: I, I mean it sucks that it has to happen this way, but um I think for Sixers fans, it's probably for the best because you were heading for a situation where it was not going to end though. Uh, I, I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. So that answers the mailbag question. The only one we had. Uh, probably a dumb thing to read out because it, it so, we've been away from it for so long and nothing new has happened that there was no questions to really ask. I mean, everyone knows what the team is. Um, but for now, that is the first round of the brackets. He will be back next episode. Um, it'll be cut down to uh, the 1 through 8 matchups. Or, you know, the, the, the uh, Elite 8. Or I guess, the, no, the Sweet 16 it would be. Yeah, Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And uh, for now, he is Brock Landis. Landis Brock on Twitter. I am Austin Krell, Krell TPM on Twitter. Brock, any famous last words?
1: No, sir, stay healthy. I hope you don't test positive. If you do eventually get a test, and uh, well wishes to your family your cousin as well. I hope everybody's in best of spirits throughout this quarantine. And for our listeners out there, stay home, man. Stay away, flatten the curve, and just do your best to, to keep yourself and your family exactly.
0: safe. As, and as always, thank you for listening to Feed to Embiid. Have a wonderful night. Stay safe, everybody. And uh, we will see you next time. Next week be the, the Sweet 16. Have a wonderful Sunday.